Off the ball. He's an absolute rascal. He sits there with a hand grenade, and every time there's a, a lull in the conversation, <laughs> he just gets one out and lobs it in. Subscribe now to the OTB Football Podcast stream wherever you get your podcasts, and download the OTB Sports app. The Sunday Papers on Off the Ball. Now, you're along. So, Sunday papers. I'll start with the headlines, and Munster are to the fore. For instance, Sunday independent picture of the boy wonder coming good, Jack Crowley. A Jack's drop, a genius Crowley magic moment sends Munster into final. So, Munster 16, Leinster 15. It was a really good game yesterday at the Aviva Stadium. Munster will face the Stormers in Cape Town Saturday week in the URC final. We have Sun Sport then as well, shaken and uh, stirred. This is about the pitch invader who gave Eddie Howe a shove in the chest yesterday. Then drop red gorgeous, picture again of Crowley with the drop goal in the final two minutes at the Aviva Stadium yesterday. There's a picture on the front, on the back page of the mirror rather, again of Eddie Howe being pushed by a fan yesterday at Ellen Road in their draw at Newcastle. And then Mac to the Future, this is Alexis McAllister. It would seem Liverpool are poised to pay 70 million sterling for him in a deal over the Summer Cup in the driving seat for 70 million. Seagull star McAllister is the word there. Sunday Times, they go with events at the Aviva yesterday. It's. Um, well, it's been described as Ronan O'Gara-esque, little uh, pointing of the finger on Jack Crowley's part in the celebration. Drop of magic, Crowley kicks Munster into URC final. And uh, beneath that, Pochettino agrees deal to become Chelsea head coach. Mauricio Pochettino has agreed to become the new head coach of Chelsea, set to take over in the summer. Lampard will remain as interim head coach. It says here Pochettino was interviewed by Chelsea when Potter was appointed the uh, club's uh, co-owners have played a role in the decision, as you might expect, and it's his reputation for developing players, one of the main factors which has attracted Chelsea. Apparently that's Tom Roddy on the front page of the Sunday Times. Mail on Sunday, Jack High. Crowley breaks the blues, but Munster's captain Amani tells players to save celebrations for finals. So very much a degree of discounts for not much if we don't win the final from Munster uh, yesterday. Even when he was interviewed, Peter Amani wasn't getting too carried away with themselves. So that is the mail on Sunday, Leinster 15, Munster 16. Very up to say, Kieran Cunningham, Chief Sports Writer with the Irish Daily Star here in studio. He also has a podcast released on Tuesday, Untouchable, a four part podcast series on Katie Taylor as part of the build up to the fight next Saturday. And we have Brendan O'Brien of the Irish Examiner here as well. Gents, you're very welcome. Thanks, you here. We'll start with, and it's a front page of the main section of the Sunday Independent, a story which has uh, dominated GA uh, circles and beyond, I suspect, over the last number of days. It's an exclusive interview on the part of Rodney Edwards with Nicola Gallagher, the ex-wife of Rory Gallagher. It's a picture of uh, Nicola. If my story helps one woman or man, then it will have been worth it. Claims about dairy manager Rory Gallagher were sent to the GAA last year, which is perhaps the newsworthy um, aspect to the interview. We'll come to that in a moment. A lot of the piece goes over the week that was. Uh, Nicola Gallagher talks about her nervousness on uh, Tuesday before she uh, posted her alleged experience on Facebook. 
she says that she's been left feeling humbled by the response to her post. Uh, so she says that she knew when she was hitting post her life would change for better or worse. She didn't know. I sat for ages looking at it on my computer. I kept thinking, will I do it or will I not? What impact will this have on my children? I had a tightness in my chest. I got really afraid and then I hit post. Within minutes, her phone started to light up with messages from friends, family and strangers. Almost a week later, the post has been liked more than 17,000 times. And the first person who rang her was her aunt to assure her that she had done the right thing. Um, the response, overwhelming. I never expected it. I feel so heartened by the response because I'm not the type of person who likes any kind of attention. I'm naturally quite a shy person. I don't use social media. The last time I used Facebook was three or four years ago. The piece touches on some of the details surrounding what is a very private matter as well, so I hasten to go into too much depth. But her husband was recently given custody of their three children. She says, I've been extremely traumatised. Uh, you hit a wall. I turned to alcohol to block it all out. I am in recovery now, but it hasn't been easy. This last year has been the toughest of my life. I will not shy away from the fact that I've had issues with alcohol, but I've done something about it. I'm thankful for the support network I have in my family and in Fermanagh Women's Aid. She's asked the question, does she think her issues with alcohol have resulted in unfair criticism in some quarters over the past few days? And she says, yes, I think it's been used against me. Sure, who would believe her? but the response has been overwhelmingly positive. She was asked about the timing of the post in the build-up to the Ulster football final. Did she do it to cause disruption is one of the um, points put to her. No, I didn't uh, do this out of revenge or for Rory to lose his job. I did it to share my experience to help other women and men. I never did it to punish him. I did it to get it off my chest. If it helps one woman or man, then it will have been worth it asked about Rory Gallagher's decision to step away from the team. She says, I don't think he had much choice. On uh, the situation with her children, sometimes I feel like they're not mine anymore, that I've been cut out of their lives. I reared those children when he was off being a superstar with the GEA. For them to be taken away from me really hurts. Every day without them breaks me. They're the first thing I think about in the morning. They're the last thing I think about at night. And the piece by Rodney Edwards does point out Mr Gallagher was arrested in 2021 but not charged in relation to physical abuse claims by Nicola. The PSNI has confirmed it did investigate claims of domestic abuse. Two files were passed on to the North's equivalent of the uh, DPP, the PPS, in January and in June last year, but it was deemed that there was insufficient evidence to proceed. And uh, Rory Gallagher has obviously released uh, a statement as well where he... Um, emphasises that the very serious allegations were investigated and that his focus is very much on looking after the children has been um, the gist of his statement, which I'm sure you've seen widely reported as well in the past few days. Um, Michael Foley in the Sunday Times and Joe Brawley in the Sunday Independent write about the situation. I suppose, Kieran Mick Foley um, in the main goes back over the, the week that was, talks about the surprise initially that Rory Gallagher was going to stand on the sideline for Derry after the week that was and then every indication was privately that he was ready to absorb whatever uh, troubles Sunday afternoon might inflict uh, statements had been issued clarity from Gallagher's perspective had been uh, provided on the circumstances of his marriage breakup and then on Friday night another surprise in that he was um, stepping back it was also confirmed Gallagher has not left the Derry job completely 
but will not be seen on the sideline until uh, further notice. And uh, he says, on a day when Derry seek their first back-to-back Ulster title in 46 years and Armagh are finding their way back after 15 years without even making a final, none of that is worth a two-penny damn anymore. And uh, the whole situation obviously has completely overshadowed the game for <laughs> obvious reasons. This is not a topic that we can have a freewheeling conversation no. on for a whole host of uh, reasons, I think, in fairness to a family and a, and a private situation and also uh, legally as well. Um, but it has been, I suppose, uh, firmly put GEA go in its place. It's very much the story in GEA circles and beyond over the last couple of days. Yeah, like until Rory Gallagher, um, until it was announced on Friday, fairly late, that he was stepping back uh, from the job and he wouldn't be there on Sunday. It did look like he'd be in the sideline today. And it was really curious and... Uh, you know, if uh, what would happen if that went ahead, you know, and a bit concerned because it has become such a lightning rod. And I think it, w- it would be fairly certain that there would be protests, and um, if, if not inside the ground, outside the ground, you know, the various groups, you know, quite active on social media saying they were trying to organise this. And, you know, also... You know, we have seen managers confronted on the sideline before. You know, you, you think of the kind of a, a verbal abuse that were coming in. So I think it was for the, for the better that he's not on the sideline today. Uh, I think Joe Brawley, you know, is bang on. In that most of us are very uncomfortable with this because there's three ch- small children involved. Yeah. And it's very, like, that's, that's who... Um, you know they are completely blameless. Like, and th- th- it's very hard to shield them from what what's been around the last few days. Like, in, in such an online world, and you know, whenever they Google their parents in the future, you know the stuff will be out there. So, what? How do you deal with that horrible situation? But there, are, there is a, a couple of uh, there are a couple of issues that Nicola Gallagher brings up that you know claims that contact was made from her family to Derry over a year ago uh, to Derry County Board, to Fermanagh County Board in the past and to GAA headquarters in Crow Park um, with these with allegations of what, what is what she says has happened and that nothing was done and I don't know if that is the case you know I think that is a serious issue for the GAA. It is so Joe Brawley um, does mention in his piece uh, secrets tend to come back to haunt us. He's talking here about Derry GEA, actually. So uh, he does mention that the 1998 Derry Championship uh, winning team is due to be introduced to the credit half-time. Earlier in the week, when it looked as though Rory Gallagher was uh, going to be on the sideline, the group decided we would not go through with it. How could we? Smiling, waving, uh, blowing kisses. And uh, he talks about uh, yesterday morning, I was in a quandary about whether to write anything at all for today. Then I got a, a call from Rodney Edwards. He's the journalist who has interviewed Nicola Gallagher from this paper, the Sunday Independent. And he said, Joe, would you like to comment on the fact that the Derry County Board were notified about these allegations a year ago and yet did nothing? And Brawley writes, Rodney, decent, straightforward journalist, proceeded to read out the email that had been sent to the board by Nicola Gallagher's father. I said, Jesus Christ, and put the phone down. This was never disclosed to county board members, is what Joe Bradley claims here. I never thought this would happen with us, he, he writes. Why? To win some football matches, to get an effing promotion? He says, I'm a Derry GA man to the core. It is humiliating to know that this happened in my name. I spoke to several board members yesterday who are equally enraged. They had no idea that this had been done. They were unaware of the allegations until they read Nicola's anguished Facebook post uh, last week. 
Hence, he says, secrets have a habit of coming back to haunt us. Now they have come back to haunt Derry GEA. Derry County Board were contacted, Brendan, by the Sunday Independent to comment on the email sent last year by Nicola Gallagher's father, and they simply uh, pointed to a statement they had put out condemning um, domestic abuse of all kind as their uh, only comment in the situation. I suspect they will be asked for further clarification as to how that email was handled, yeah, I dare say. Absolutely, and, you know, when you step back from this in it, case, in, in its this specific case, there's wider issues as to how sport deals with um, similar cases, whether it's allegations or people who have been convicted of issues like domestic violence uh, or any of those those horrible situations. And this is something we've seen in Ireland, England, Scotland, United States. It's it's all over the world. Um, what is sport's moral obligation in a situation where somebody is accused of something but there's no prosecution or somebody who might be accused of somebody who has been prosecuted who might have served time for something? Where does sport sit in this? Um, in a lot of these instances, we look to America as kind of where these things kind of tend to happen before um, before they come here, so concussion or whatever, or even advances in sports science, and it's no different here. So if you look at the NFL, the NFL has been slated for how they have dealt with players who have been sometimes only accused and sometimes um, convicted of domestic violence. Um, they have suspended players who have been only accused. Um so it's it's very difficult to get the right line from how sports deal with this. But if if it is the case that county boards were informed of some potential issues and there's no comeback on it, well, questions have to be answered. Yeah, there's something uh, I, I've been thinking about this as well, Joe. And you know, I have to make it clear, no stress. I, I don't. I'm not relating it to the to the Rory Gallagher, Nicola Gallagher story, but. If you look at the bigger picture, if you want to coach an under-10 GA team or rugby team or soccer team, you have to get guard the vetted uh, for reasons that are, of course, perfectly reasonable and everybody understands why. But if you want to take... I don't think if you go for an inter-county job, there's anything like that. Mm. And I think this could be a moment that a lot of people take a step back in sporting organisations and say, what if we were ever came up against allegations in this future in, uh, in the future should we when we are bringing coaches and managers board at all levels be looking into the background which are running background checks or whatever but uh, yeah it's a tricky one it is we're very limited in what we can say at this stage and um, i think in the interest of fairness to all concerned maybe we should leave it there just uh, i referenced rory geller's statement so to be specific in what he said, he talks about how our marriage broke down over four years ago. Allegations against me have been investigated and dealt with by the relevant authorities. My focus over the past four years has been to protect our children from the ongoing turmoil in our family, was part of his uh, statement during the week. So not on the sideline this afternoon. And uh, as for his future with Derry, that remains to be uh, decided, I suspect. We will take a very short break back in just uh, one minute with Kieran and Brendan. The Sunday Papers on Off the Ball. Uh, you're welcome back. So we are here with Kieran Cunningham from the Irish Daily Star, who is a four-part podcast on Katie Taylor, released this Tuesday. Brendan O'Brien from the Irish Examiner is here as well. By the way, just to mention, I suspect maybe um, you were wondering in the Sunday Independent if the um, piece with Nicola Gallagher had gone into great detail about 
uh, her marriage to Rory Gallagher or had expanded upon her Facebook post, it absolutely uh, didn't. It very much just focused on the week that was, and it's a relatively um, short piece, just in case you're wondering if I did or didn't read out uh, long extracts. I did give you the uh, vast majority of them. To move to the big kerfuffle Early in the week, for sure, it's GEA Go. We have Shane McGrath writing about it in the Mail on Sunday. Mark O'Shea, in his piece, I'm part of GEA Go and proud to be. And we have Tommy Conlon as well in the Sunday Independent. Uh, Shane McGrath says, Identifying the precise moment when the GEA Go story dissolved into hopeless absurdity is not easy. There was the swivel-eyed intervention from 1TD who blamed it on the woke agenda. And then there was the tarnished it, musing that GA matches shouldn't be behind a paywall. There was uh, backbench calls for the entire broadcasting deal to be uh, scrapped. And of course, the coronation. The coronation was the, uh, the part that really irritated a whole bunch of people. Sport has incited some ridiculous arguments in this country, he says, and uh, GA Go fits into that. Uh, the gist of uh, Tommy Conlon's piece, I suppose, fellas, is that Short term, he finishes by saying they got it wrong when they consigned those big hurling games to the Siberia of the internet. Long term, they're probably going where they need to be. And he says it used to be that Crow Park was perpetually, often chronically, behind the modernising sentiments of its members. Nowadays, strange as it is to say, it's the punters who are having to catch up. The future has arrived with a bang this month and with the symphony of complaints from gales up and down the country. But they better get used to it. Head office won't be for turning on this one. And uh, he does point out that, uh, as the Irish Independent reported during the week, 2021 subscriptions to GA Go uh, generated uh, 2.86 million, leading to a profit of 1.1 million in 2021. They expect more profit in 2022 uh, when those figures are released. And as for 2023, he predicts a quantum leap in profits from the 1.1 million profit of 2021. So, as he says, Kieran, the revolution is no longer being televised, it's also being streamed. (laughs) Yeah, but um, yeah, well, without a doubt, it is a future streaming. But I think the I think they moved too early. I, I, I just think the infrastructure wasn't there. When you look at um, some areas like the border counties, uh, in some of the border counties, um, one in four don't have proper broadband. You know, and that's the same. There, there's similar stats in some other rural ca- ca- counties, and even counties that have broadband it, it can be not that strong. So that, that you have a lot of buffering and a lot of glitching, and there have been complaints about that already. And I just, even though this was announced, was it last October, Brendan? It was announced, I think. These things always creep up in people because people don't pay any attention yeah. to a lot of stuff. Like, like even I find this with the football championship change. The amount of people who are suddenly going, three teams <laughs> yeah. can go through. And there's been announcements. Yeah. Because people, it's, it's only when you're suddenly looking at it and you go, what? So I do believe that genuinely people sat down and expected to watch Limerick yeah. be Clare. And they're going, what the hell's going on? You know, how is this not on TV? And uh, I, I think, um, you know, the politician stuff, there's a lot of populist crap. And, you know, a lot of politicians do jump on this because it's an easy win for them. And a lot of the coverage around this has been based on that. that but I, I do think that there are legitimate criticisms. I think it wasn't made clear... Uh, you know, how cosy a deal this was with RTE, I think, you know, and how, uh, you know, you have D Forbes of RTE and Declan McBennett or directors of GA go. I think there is a reluctance to pay when you're already paying a TV license fee, that people feel they're already paying RTE and they're paying mm-hmm. them again for this. 
there isn't enough of an acknowledgement that it's been a very tough winter in terms of the bills people have. You know, and you know this has been there's been coverage everywhere: the rise in grocery prices and fuel, etc. And already. I think there's a crucial difference between this and the Sky deal. A lot of people already have Sky Sports, you know, because a lot of people are, you know, Catholic in their uh, sporting tastes. They watch soccer, rugby, GA, golf, whatever. So, uh, you know, th- but this is an extra subscription. They might, a lot of people already have Sky and BT Sport they're paying for. They already pay for Netflix, maybe Prime Video and something, maybe Spotify. They have a TV license fee and they're asked for something else at a time when they're quite stretched and it's just seen as another bill. And also, a lot of people are not familiar with casting. Like, I think that's another reason they should have waited until it was a TV app like Netflix on most TVs now that it's 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 easy to access. They've made it kind of hard to access, and people don't like being asked, being challenged that way. Mm. Yeah, to Tommy's point about the flipping of the nature between the GA and and its punters, how the GA was always cast as this oil tanker that was so slow to turn around. Um, and I remember even the debate going back to the opening of Croke Park and how quickly in the end that happened I mean it took decades but it happened really quickly in the end and from that point on I've just got this sense of the GA that it is moving quicker on things you you add in the GA go on top of the change to the championship structure that you mentioned Kieran mm. the moving of the calendar yeah. from its traditional mooring points there's been a huge amount of change like generational change on a number of different areas in such a very short yeah. period of t- period of time and it is unsettling for for people I mean progress is fine and streaming is the way of the future and all that but it's so much change to people and you're right about it like you know people aren't used to the championship in April or early May they're not used to it being streamed they're not used to it not being on at a certain time or at a certain station or whatever. It's a lot for people to take in for floating voters. And I think there's also a bit of... I can see the frustration uh, from hurling because... It's generally accepted the hurling league is an absolute waste of time. Yeah, so the hurling completely. championship is all that completely. matters. And also the Leinster championship is definitely not what yeah. it was. So it really is a large part of the appeal or, you know, the only big deal for hurling people is the Munster Hurling Championship before the All-Ireland Series. And the fact that uh, two games that turned out to be... Nobody can tell in advance, obviously, that the games will be as good as they were, but Cork and Tip and Clare and Limerick... Uh, were as good as games as we've seen in years or haven't seen as the case with many people uh, so that that has led to huge frustration just a fine one on it uh, Joe I'd be very curious to see the numbers because I haven't seen any numbers yet like I know what's mentioned there mm. but the Prophet's Diego made before mm. but Paul Rice you know in your paper Brendan used to do go into the sky numbers regularly yeah. and Generally, they were about ten percent of what a game would would get on RT. So, if it, uh, uh, if a game, you know, most games would get three fifty to four hundred thousand on RT. They would only get thirty five to forty thousand on Sky. And I can't imagine GA goes getting anywhere near that number. Well, that's that's a, that's a very good point in hurling, and it goes back to what Donal Cusack was railing against during the week. I mean, the the example in all this in sport has been held up for years is the the example of cricket in England after that 2005 Ashes series which I think was the last one on terrestrial TV the Freddie Flintoff one mm. against Australia with the iconic photo where he's you know commiserating with the Aussie the Aussie player I mean that was cricket at its height in England they subsequently went behind the paywall and they earned bucket loads of money and yet participation numbers were going off a cliff and then you talk about the need to grow hurling Don Low Cusack and other people the need to grow hurling 
um, get it beyond the traditional counties. You know, there was pieces in the paper, uh, the papers during the week about the concerns for Waterford that, you know, where are they going to be in a few years' time when their current team um, starts to retire en masse? We look at a county like Kildare that has been making great progress as well. We've all been blue in the face talking about and listening to people talking about the need to grow hurling. How do you grow hurling if, like you say, Kieran, it is literally a limited number of games in the Munster Championship specifically that really grab people's attention and maybe then a few in the All-Ireland series. So you need to be careful about it. It's not just about the technology available and how you, you interact with the public. It's about the access. Vincent Hogan's piece in, in The Independent yesterday was exactly that. Right. Mm. He had people quoted in it saying, you know, um, maybe some... Um, elder, there was an elderly person, I think a, a GA, long-time GA um, administrator or something, said, it's not about the money. It's not about the money. I've paid lot of tickets, a membership. I've, I've contributed all my life and I don't mind contributing. It's about access. And this comes back to the ticketless scheme as well, at turnstiles as well. Mm. Like you said, Kieran, it just feels like the train has left the station a little bit early for a large swath of the... Yeah, the yeah remember a couple of years ago, Joe, uh, uh, UNESCO announced that hurling was becoming was joining the list of, I think it was called Protected Cultural Activities. Yeah. And how big a deal the GA made of that, that this was great and it would show the worth of hurling. And at the same time, you're doing something this, which when you really only have a handful of counties and, a, uh, 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 yeah. you know, you have five, six real good matches that you can depend on every year, and three of them or two or three of them you can't see. UNESCO, what took you so long, said Hurling. You've been asleep at the wheel. <laughs> Declan McBennett was on with Brian Dobson on News at One. Declan McBennett, the Orgy Group Head of Sport. And Tommy Collin quotes from that piece. So, for instance, Tommy says, uh, Dobson grasped the nettle. Were the Hurling match matches chosen because they do attract big audiences and they will drive subscriptions to GA Go? McBennett, no, absolutely not. And I've heard that stated over the past 24 or 48 hours. <coughs> I don't know about that, um, I have to say. Um, now, he did explain Limerick Clare was moved Saturday to Sunday because of the great Limerick uh, run, but um, uh, Dobson replied, one can see a perfectly reasonable incentive here on the part of Diego to pick for the uh, pay-per-view matches that will attract strong audiences, drive subscriptions. That's not an unreasonable proposition. Declan McBennett says, it's absolutely not unreasonable and I can understand where people are coming from, but it's not true is what he says. Can I just the, make a quick well, quote? Well, can I, sorry, no, yeah, I, on, Joe, yeah, sorry. There's just a key point, I think. So the broadband is important, the cost of living crisis and asking people to pay more is important. But I, I think the RTGO relationship is going to become ultimately the most problematic aspect of this arrangement. I think the paywall issue will subside and people don't like it, but I don't understand how it's tenable to have the group head of sport of RTE whose duty is to the licence fee payer. So I would think mm. RTE's duty is to anyone who pays for their licence fee to get them the best value for money, to get them the highest quality content. And at the same time, RTE also are on GEA Go, where the drive is to make money and make a success of that operation. So, in my eyes, GEA Go is in competition with RTE. So, I don't understand 
Yeah, I'm even even from the optics alone, but but just on a basic, that match is on this weekend. It's a big one. Does it go in RTE or GA? Go. I don't understand how RTE and and by I don't want to make it just about Declan McBennett to be fair, but I don't know, by extension him and RTE by extension. How can they fight tooth and nail for the big hurling match to go in RTE, and then also be fighting tooth and nail for GA go? There's too much of a conflict there. There is, that, and that it's a curious work. relationship because, like, think of it as well, uh, or it's definitely an unusual arrangement. Like when this rights, uh, the next rights issue comes up for negotiation. You know, when you when the contract is up and it has to be renewed, or you're looking for other bidders. Like it looks like you know Peter McKenna gets involved in those negotiations. He's the director of, uh, of GA Go. And Declan McBennett is a director of Diego and also head of the RT Sport. If they're still in those positions when the rights renewal comes around, how can that be? Mm. No, that, doesn't that look very odd? Like you've been working together in tandem, basically as partners and fellow directors for years. And now you're supposed to suddenly come into a new meeting where, where rights are up for negotiation. Mm. That is definitely unusual. Mm. And I know the GA dismissed a lot of the Virgin Media statement, but I thought there was a, uh, a Virgin's version of what had happened around the last rights issue. But there was a line in that about that RTE have signed up for a lot of rights and the, uh, for sports, but they don't really have the space for them. And I think that there might be something to that. That you you look at say rugby. If you RTE do do a deal for rugby, they're not just doing Ireland senior team. You're good, they're getting the women's team and the under twenty games as well. And you're trying to fit anything in, everything in. And the same with soccer now. They're showing the women's teams. They're showing underage teams that they're using to show. Mm. They just show so many League of Ireland games, and they're not sport channels exclusively. So suddenly, often I think, and also because the change, this is a crucial one. The change in, in the GA calendar is a part of this. Yeah. That it's harder for G, for the GA or sorry, for RTE, to fit in games when you have, come into the climax of the soccer and the rugby seasons and they're already contracted to show uh, a lot of those games. Mm. So, uh, you know, something has to give there. Well, it, and on that, on, on the, the amount of stuff that RTE have, I mean, go back, what is it, six or seven years when News Talk lost the, the, the radio rights as well and I know you guys weren't happy about that at the time and that was, I remember everybody, a lot of people and myself included would have been thinking, that's a pity, you know, it's a different voice on the championship as well. And in terms of TV rights as well, Sky Sports is a different voice, regardless of access access issues as well. And it, we've had a narrowing of access of, of broadcasters who are putting out content on the yeah. All-Ireland Championship across broadcasting now, which probably isn't a good thing either. Sky barely got a sniff of a Munster hurling match. Mm. And they, that was issues for them. I'm mm. sure they're looking on now yeah. saying, so hang on, now that RTE and the GA are running t- it together, Munster Hurling's all over yeah. it in the early mm. weeks. What about that point? How problematic, Brendan, is it that RTE on the one hand are duty-bound 100% to the licence fee holder mm. and at the very same time when certain matches are up for grabs, it's in their interest with their GA Go hat on to funnel, mm. it, funnel it away from the licence fee payer. Yeah, I, I honestly hadn't thought of it like that. I think it's a very interesting point because I always remember one of the first games, it might have been the first game that Sky Sports had was Kilkenny Offley in a Leinster Hurling Championship, which was an absolute turkey shoot. Yeah. And that issue did hold throughout their rights period in the GA on a Saturday night. So I think it's a very, very... It's a very good point that should be answered. Yeah, because if you're a licence fee payer... 
Yeah. Do you feel totally confident that everything possible was done to fight for the best hurling match that weekend? I think it's a fair point. Again, it's not something I had actually thought of, yeah. but mm. it's a very interesting way of looking at it. I just don't... It, it, there's too much of conflict there. Like, who... Who are they fighting for? GA Go or the licence That's it. Yeah, no, that's why if they, as I say, it's a very unusual arrangement. And, yeah. uh, and it's funny, you, you see a lot of disgruntlement with the cost of the licence fee with people. But then I've seen people saying, oh, GA Go is quite reasonable. But like it's half, at full price, it's half the price of GA yeah. Go. And if Sport you want to watch expensive. single games with a lot of people, um, if you look at the GA Go schedule, there's only three or four of those games they'd want to watch. You know, there wouldn't really be interest in a lot of the others. So, But if you want to indiv- watch individual games, 12 euros. Mm. So it's, uh, it's a, it, it is... I, I, I just don't think the time and I'm just right. Maybe down five years' time, it would have been far more acceptable that uh, mm-hmm. between price arrangements, between broadband access, etc., between people's familiarity with casting. But I just think they got a bit run ahead of themselves with it. Is there any way back as well? Yeah. Do you know, once yeah. you've gone down this route of GA go like League of Ireland TV or whatever, that's a, Well, I, I guarantee you next year... Uh, RTL of the big Monster Championship games. I think they'll. But even, they'll but even, ter- even in terms of future TV rights yeah, deals, yeah, yeah. how do you go back to the market now? What happens? GA go is that kind of becoming part of that? Will that become part of the furniture? I think it will. But that's the point. So, are you reducing the possibility of income from other areas as well? Other people getting involved. You know, it's it's interesting because, like you say, the Premier League of Sky, BT, Amazon, and yet in recent years we've had RT, RT, RT in one one guise or another. It's an interesting way it's going. Mm. Well, we'll watch this space, Brendan. You were at the Aviva Stadium yesterday for what turned out to be the yeah. best Leinster Munster match in. Well, I don't you want to go, but Yonks. Yonks is the official term, yeah. <laughs> Jack Crowley, drop goal, and Munster probably deserving winners on the balance of play. Oh, God, yeah. I mean, if they hadn't won that, yeah, I, I just couldn't imagine what they'd be feeling this week. A lot of botched chances oh. in the Leinster 22. Yeah, and like it was, it, the thing about it was, and Graham Roundtree, their, their coach, spoke about later, you know, even if you think about the last the winning of the game, how they turned it over in their own try line, they played it out of their 22 you know they were brave um, they tried to play and they did that all all game and you can see it in their attacking shape and what they're trying to do and play the game they did a serious amount of offloads they went for it but they nearly hamstrung themselves a couple of times I mean like the amount of times they spilled the ball five metres out from the, the Leinster line and you're just kind of going to turn down kicks at goal you know I mean before Jack Crowley hit that drop goal you're just thinking how in the name of God are they going to come back from this and to be fair to them for the Crowley drop goal if anyone didn't see it this was Munster playing on their own try line this is oh, not brilliant. the Munster of Van Gran it did make me think watching it what a waste mm. those Van Gran years were you wouldn't be the first person to say that like about really years. and truly yeah Goodness I mean me. and that was the thing going into the game you just wanted to see Munster give it a shot yeah give, you know do your best play your game and they stuck to it and uh, you know I mean it was just so important I feel for Leinster like I really do you know they've, they've a lot of advantages and there'll be little sympathy maybe from other provinces and certainly from England and France where the the, the talk has been of all the, the advantages that they have but it, it has been tough for them fighting on two fronts but when you look at the wider picture 
we needed Munster to win that. Yeah, we Munster needed it. We needed it. The game needed it. I think that's their first win against them in ten. When you take out the Rainbow Cup one, mm. uh, which was pretty meaningless, and you could see it in the stands, the number of red jerseys in the stands beforehand. You could see that there was a a real backing for them there. And from early on, when there was a couple of poaches on either side or a tackle here or there there was this guttural roar yes. that you could feel in the stand that there was this willingness for them to get it done so yeah I mean that leads into Leinster this week as well And yeah uh, Leo Cullen did talk pre-game of the worries over Munster's singular yeah. focus and that's certainly borne out because Bernard Jackman does make the point on Leinster's part this was their second string team however Leinster's second string team has still looked almost unbeatable all season so credit to Munster on an overall basis and he um, pays homage to Dennis Leamy big success first year back in Limerick they had the best defensive stats of all teams in the regular season and that was after a bad start as well and uh, just to highlight he does say Jack Crowley that uh, the celebration O'Gara-esque and uh, really Crowley is the individual who Munster can and should build their team around and he says it looks like the beginning of a fantastic career for Crowley and guiding Munster into the future secondly what a way for Keith Earls to finish off his career in a final with a chance to sign off in South Africa with one more trophy uh, looked like a player whose career was coming to an end due to injury but has uh, come back Lazarus-like and you just hope he produces a star performance in Cape Town says Bernard Jackman Munster fans will be really happy today this really looked and felt like the Munster of old so two thumbs up there from Bernard Jackman on uh, you mentioned Leinster uh, next week so it's a European Cup final and there are various uh, preview pieces just to mention two both by Peter O'Reilly one an interview with Caelan Doris and the other just reflecting on the Lancaster legacy uh, Caelan Doris very impressive uh, the, just the line that jumped out to me is um, he's a psychology graduate I hadn't quite mm-hmm. realised that so he uh, described the motivation next week as avoidance of hurt <laughs> as opposed to pursuing joy I suppose says the dressing room in Marseille last year was pretty much the worst he's experienced and uh, Leo Cullen and some of the more senior players saying something uh, similar uh, it's funny for the 8-9 months of the season there is not much to say about Leinster mm. and then you get to this part of the season and you really get to see where they are so we're about to find out again it's massive I mean this game on Saturday is, is ginormous for them for them, and as Peter says in the Stuart Lancaster piece, for his legacy as well. I mean, if he leaves for Racing 92 with one uh, Heineken Champions Cup to his name, I mean, that's that's not a success. For everything he's done, and Peter outlines it very well in his piece, that Lancaster's influence in Leinster has gone way beyond just coaching on the pitch. It's gone into uh, leadership development and psychology and bringing lads out of their shells, um, upskilling coaches of all levels around, around the province. But one Champions Cup title for this team I mean everybody said it they've underachieved mm. that's that's the bottom line <laughs> if you look as well um, Ireland winning the Grand Slam in the spring abs- actually ups the stakes on them as well you know Ireland can get it done why can't Leinster get it done there's a lot a lot of issues there and that avoidance of hurt thing caught my eye as well Joe because just even from doing the pressers with them week on week they get asked about this the whole time about last year the losses to the Bulls and the loss to La Rochelle and some of them will say it's not about last year it's about moving on he's talking about avoidance of hurt they all have their different motivations on it but if they if they find themselves waking up on Sunday morning next week having lost to La Rochelle 
so many questions about them. Mm-hmm. And like you say, after nine months of let's park Leinster for now, yeah. it's going to be a very long summer for, for the guys yeah. in UCD, you know? Yeah, and I think I know it's a secondary competition and it was a lot of second string players yesterday, but I think it's probably the last thing they needed uh, a week out because... It was another late defeat, just like last year. So I was reminding them of that. And then even things, you know, as Peter Riley points out, that since their last success, they've lost two finalists, one semi-final, one quarter-final in in the Champions Cup. Uh, That all these things would be brought up all week. And I know they've been brought up regularly, as Brendan says. But also, you know, they're planning yesterday. Josh van der Fleer was out injured or struggling with injury a few weeks ago. The intention would have been, I would say, think, give him 20 minutes or so yesterday. But yeah. he, he was in the pitch after two minutes mm. and he played a full game. Robbie so, Henshaw played 80. That yeah. wasn't part of the plan. Either. So the, those kind of things, I think now, you know, there'll be, uh, th- there's a fair amount of pressure on them because they are obviously going in against the reigning champions, a very good team and a very good, well-coached team. And, and, so. and on the psychology point of it, I mean, that's big for them this week. The pressure is there. And like you say, that defeat yesterday is just another little unwanted prod and decide you know just this is three in a row now yeah. you haven't got it done they're at home they will be favourites still um, and how they actually deal with that between the years this week is going to be very very interesting meanwhile the boy from Cork plotting away yeah and up, like, oh, listen here we go again <laughs> um, the Lancaster legacy piece Peter Riley's piece it's um, and there's, there's a similar vein actually in a an article on Mickey Hart, which will come to mm. in due course. Just some of the behind-the-scenes bits and bobs that Lancaster has used to turn Leinster into the force that they are. And Peter Riley makes the point that Lancaster uh, joined the club when uh, thirteen. If you just uh, if you discount, it says Gibson Park and Charlie Nagatai from the Toulouse starting lineup. That leaves thirteen homegrown players who were aged between eighteen and twenty-three when Lancaster joined the club. All but one of whom are Irish internationals. In other words, he has had more contact time with them than any other coach. So he's making the point that Lancaster's effect on Irish rugby is beyond profound. And just some of the behind the stuff, behind the scenes stuff is pretty interesting. So Lancaster noticed how many of the players produced by the school system were skillful and adept at playing to a preordained structure, perfect rote learning products of the Leaving Cert system. But they were less comfortable when presented with a problem that hadn't appeared in past exam papers. Uh, with a couple of fairly obvious exceptions, the Leinster players were quiet on the pitch as well. To prove the point, Lancaster attached microphones to players' jerseys during training sessions. He then played the tape back to them afterwards to prove how much more assertive they could be. He carried out psychometric tests and he made people aware of their personality traits and how this related to their ability to get the best out of themselves and the collective. Gave the players reading material, links to podcasts and documentaries, always chosen specifically for the individual. And then uh, this is Andy Farrell-esque, I suppose. One evening, the week before last, Lancaster invited the parents of all the Leinster players together for a valedictory drinks party. He said a few words to the group and then worked the room, a parent-teacher meeting, with cocktails, if you like. So uh, he has had a profound <coughs> effect and a uh, bit like Johnny Sexton, how he'll view these last number of years will be dictated a touch by Saturday. Mm-hmm. So that's Munster Leinster and Leinster La Rochelle. Big week for boxing in the country, Kieran. So again, your podcast is out on uh, Tuesday. People can keep an eye out for that. Uh, an episode released each day. It's called Untouchable. And uh, there's an interesting piece in the Sunday Times mm. and so Taylor 
big time boxing in Dublin for the first time in eight years I suppose and it's wondering if the wounds of 2016 are yeah, it's, it's longer really. Like the the Regency was 2016. You know, there'd been I think there'd been about 15 roughly in Dublin, uh, small hall shows since then. <clears throat> but if you look at the last big, uh, the last full house for a big boxing event in Dublin was was 2009. It was Bernard, when Bernard John became world champion. So then, is it a misnomer to say that the Regency killed big time boxing in this country? It was never that big. No, no, no. Like it, it's big in terms of uh, what Irish boxers have done, uh, what they've achieved at both amateur and professional level in terms of numbers, in terms of boxing clubs. But for some reason, it's always been a hard sell in terms of tickets. Like even when big name fighters like Lennox Lewis, uh, Nassim Hamid uh, fought here, they didn't get great numbers. You know, there's been a few exceptions, like the likes of Steve Collins and Cork. You know, yeah. that, that took off or Barry McGuigan in the past, but generally. It's a puzzling one because often even boxing people don't go, you know, and I don't really understand why the why that is. But uh, you know, like the, uh, Michael Foley goes into this: the, the Regency and the fallout and the Kinnan involvement in boxing isn't the only reason why it's been hard to put on bills here. Like he talks to Leonard Gunning, who 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 did put on quite a few shows, <coughs> and insurance costs were were so much, you know, were twenty times the cost to get insured in Belfast and security costs were the same but at the same time I do think that's probably there is a connection there oh, because, yeah. you know because of sorry that's entirely the connection yeah no I, well not entirely but it's a large part of it okay. yeah and I think there's insurance issues with the insurance industry here anyway but there's a few things that come up and like it actually I think to mention in passing um there's not a word in this in the Sunday Depend, which I find very curious, because it is such a big event. It's odd that their sports coverage has completely uh, ignored it. Like the Mail uh, have an interview with Deirdre Gogarty and this piece by Michael Foley in the Sunday Times. But um, I think you were at the press conference, the KD one, last month. Yeah. You, Brandon, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. it mentions in passing that Jamie Moore, because Jamie Moore was, a, you know, his shooting basically, he's the trainer of Chantel Cameron, his shooting was the initial spark for the Kinnan Hutch feud. You know, he's no involvement in criminality. Uh, but he was very vocal in his support of Kinnan. He described him as a good bloke on The Guardian. He's social media posts attacking journalists for, uh, for things they've written about uh, Kinnan. And I asked him about that at the press conference and, you know, he dismissed the question. But there's another link there that I think we'll, there will be focus on this week. Anthony Fitzpatrick uh, was a former senior manager of MTK Global, and he too is no involved in the criminality. But he was um, uh, he was in the ring after Chantel Cameron's last fight, and uh, when the Criminal Assets Bureau seized a mansion last year that belonged to Kinahan, it turned out that uh, Fitzpatrick had been living in that uh, house rent free for a number of years. Uh, and I, I've sent uh, qu- uh, questions to Kinnan's camp, or sorry, to Chantel Cameron's camp, asking about Anthony Fitzpatrick. You know, what is the connection? No, uh, what is her connection? You know, why is he there with her entourage after team posing for a photo? And uh, if he is part of a entourage, are there any concerns about his past association with Kinnan? And I didn't get any response. So I think this story basically is a story that will be of interest beyond the boxing and the sports media. And it will be covered in areas by pe- and people, 
on different beats this week and there's no getting away from that because we're just coming off the back of the Regency trial a very high profile trial that saw Jerry Hodge go free and two others convicted so um, it's just such a shame that it's hanging over what should be one of the ultimate feel good stories for Katie Taylor yeah you uh, quoted Leonard Gunning there who had started Boxing Ireland promotions and uh, it is amazing when he does talk about the cost difference between say Belfast and Dublin cost of insurance 20 times higher we could get annual insurance in the whole of the UK for £800 and put on five or ten shows. To put on one show in Dublin, we were quoted seven to ten grand. And he says, every time we went to, out into regional towns, we got a very frosty reception whenever we mentioned pro-boxing. Some venues would call us back and cancel. Even when we had TV coverage, people did not want to be associated with professional boxing. He's talking here about the last number of years. He said... Uh, of the reputational damage abroad, there would have to be multiple Katie Taylor shows considered successful to repair the damage in the eyes of foreign promoters to give them confidence that Ireland is back. So uh, still far from uh, flying, I suppose, is his assessment. By the way, this is on Dazone. Yeah. Forget you, you go, how do I get to zone? <laughs> Most people aren't going to see this fight. No. Uh, I know. And there'll probably be war at the time because people only realise it <laughs> five minutes before they'll see the rig walk or hear the rig walk yeah. is talking and, or starting. And Where I know. Do you get it? Where do you get it? Yeah, well, well it's, one of the, it's one of the big problems with boxing in that uh, boxing went from a situation where uh, ITV showed it uh, every Saturday night in you know the 90s and they were getting audiences at a 12 to 15 million, yeah. you know. And it went from that to embracing pay-per-view to an extent that no other sport did and just slashing its audience. But then they've even moved away from the likes of Sky and BT going to, you know, to apps like Dazon and Fight TV, etc. And uh, unless you have something called a dodgy box or fire stick, which I've never heard of and I would never use be tempted to use. See, I never know if people are lying when they say that. <laughs> no, no, genuinely, uh, yeah. I, I, no, I, I genuinely don't. I don't. I no, I like don't. <laughs> no, I feel like a mug when people, but I'm also terrified <laughs> that I get caught, so I'm just too much of a coward to embrace it. Like but generally, uh, the, the take-up, they've spent a lot of money, a lot of these apps uh, getting rights, but the take-up is, is really, really poor, and it's very hard to see. Is this, uh, uh, can I uh, join for a month or something and for free and then watch it that way is that no like like uh, I think I think people were hopeful some kind of deal could be done that maybe RT would show as well but uh, I think DAZN would, wouldn't be having that okay. and even deferred coverage I think there might have been discussions that RT would show it as deferred but it's not happening so okay mm. okay we'll kick off next week as well um, a few other bits and bobs to get to we'll come to Leicester in a moment. I know you both like that piece. I just want to briefly mention, if I could, I just found this very interesting. Uh, I don't know, you, you guys didn't as much, or you just... You just didn't penetrate in here. Okay, fair the, enough. The, the sex life of stallions and mares. <laughs> <laughs> didn't grab me. Okay, well, you've set me up to fail now. Uh, David Walsh, back page of the Sunday Times. So, the uh, byline here is that Coolmore, Coolmore stood, will always lament the one that got away in Frankel. So, I just hadn't realised the background here. Um... He starts off by talking about a fairly interesting fellow, Rob Bowley. So Bowley lives over in Newmarket, has a nice simple life. He's of retirement age. Every morning he gets up around half six and he uh, wanders to the stallion yard and there's Frankel, who will be standing in his box. Uh, Bowley gets Frankel and he knows what not to ask him. 
this means that they're good. So he takes care of uh, Frankel these days. And uh, these random ripples that followed on from Frankel's uh, coming extend far beyond Newmarket. So he says, you may have heard of Coolmore stood in County Tipperary. It's the San Diego uh, Burnabout Stadium of Racing, except the Galacticos here have four legs. They enjoy uh, lives of even greater privilege. So Coolmore's founder is John Magner. He's built this empire on the principle that it's better to breed racehorses than to buy them. So uh, the line here is very simple. There was a Nijinsky who was sold to US-based investors. And Nijinsky had an amazing stud career over in Kentucky. And Magner said, we are not doing that anymore. So the champions will not be sold anymore. Uh, They're going to be staying and we're going to breed. So 1984, Sadler's Wells, one of the best of his generation. He stayed. As a stallion, he was worth... $32 $32 million. However, keeping improved worth multiples of that. So um, around that time as well, Charles Hawhey was persuaded that it was in the best interest of the country to make Stallion's earnings exempt from tax. I didn't... Did you know Stallion's earnings were exempt from tax? Mm. That is just something else. So Sadler's Wells uh, did more for Coolmore than any human. Hawhey included, says David Walsh. Over a 15-year period, he was champion sire 14 times. <clears throat> His offspring won 12 English classics and 14 Irish classics. So that's Sadler's Wells from 85 to 05. Sadler's Wells is just a money machine in those 20 years. The 15 years after Sadler's Wells, in comes Galileo. By the end, breeders were paying a whisper it, 400 to 500 grand sterling fee to get their mares an appointment with the champion. Magner became so wealthy that he and a few friends could buy the Sandy Lane Hotel in Barbados, uh, not to mention a stake in Manchester United before the falling out with Alex Ferguson. So times are good. They've had Sadler's Wells. Then, uh, you know, perfectly timed, along comes Galileo. Uh, all the while, at Coolmore, they prayed that Galileo would produce a successor. In comes Frankel. So early noughties, the Prince Khalid Abdullah of uh, the UK, he would send lots of mares to Coolmore. But rather than stallion fees, his deal was you get half of the progeny and I get half of the progeny. So each partner each year, there'd be 10 uh, foals produced. Each partner, so Coolmore and uh, the Prince, would get five yearlings each. So from the 09 batch, there was one superstar, a son of Galileo, out of the mare kind. This yearling stood out. Coolmore would have chosen him in a heartbeat, except that in 2009, it was the prince's choice to pick first. Coolmore just needed him to be born the year before or the year after, and they would have first pick. Frankel has turned out to be the greatest. The champion conceived in County Tipperary, delivered in Newmarket, and was brought brought to brilliance by uh, Henry Cecil. He is now a superstar stallion, and the ripples are still being felt. Coolmore's trainer Aidan O'Brien is not winning classics like he once did and they now st- and uh, though they stand 20 stallions in Ireland Coolmore no longer has a superstar and if you want an appointment with Frankel that will cost you 275,000 and his uh, diary is full and so it's uh, back to Bowley the on the cusp of retirement person who looks after Frankel and he's having a cup of tea and just thinking about uh, how funny life is so if it had been 2008 or 2010, Coolmore would have had first choice over the Prince and they would have picked Frankel. Instead, it was 09. The Prince said, I'll take Frankel. And for the first time since Sadler's Wells, 85, Coolmore no longer has a superstar stood. It was Sadler's Wells, it was Galileo, and then Frankel fell through their fingers. Now, come on, that was interesting. 
You summed it up very well, in fairness. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's faint praise. Do you think that's, I think that's interesting. That is, it is. It you, is. Like, I wouldn't have known Coolmore doesn't have a superstar no, that's stood. No, no, no. I wouldn't have known any of that, to be quite honest. Oh, um, okay. You're welcome. Do, 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 you know, do you know what is interesting? Because we, we, we will be talking about Leicester. I mean, that's, that's a sports business that works. I mean, you can um, charge the fee regardless of the result. There's nothing in the contract that says if you don't get a superstar out of this, yeah. money is back. Whereas you'll go on to Leicester then, and a lot of what has gone wrong with them is is this policy of well, bring us there by all means. I'm do- I'm done with this. Okay, right. Seeing see right. as you two have no interest. Oh, okay, right. Well, I mean, the football model that yeah. Leicester would have followed, that Southampton would have followed as well. There's been a lot on Southampton of a similar vein this week about you know bringing through um, unpolished gems and selling off at you know, great profit and having an eye for the market and this is a type of business model, which it's clearly not. It might work for a certain period of time, but your look inevitably runs out because you're dealing with footballers and one of the lines in the Leicester piece is about a lot of the money that was spent a few years ago under Brendan Rodgers and now none of them really proved to be a success. Yeah. And then he didn't get the money next year or whatever and just falling out of the club. But you cannot base a sports business on that. There has to be more of a platform more concrete um, underneath what you're doing it made uh, me um, just realise how quick the descent has been yeah so, so it's Jonathan Northcroft Sunday Times Leicester play Liverpool tomorrow on the Monday Night Football and uh, I, I don't even mean when I say the descent I don't mean from 2016 Premier League champions although that is kind of nuts yeah. but he says let's start where Leicester were a year ago that's that was Fascinating, oh, wasn't it? Playing Roma in a Europa Conference League semi-final, they lost by a single goal. However, in the Premier League, they'd finished eighth, having finished fifth in the previous two full seasons. They'd won the FA Cup and the Community Shield. Brennan Rodgers, one of their best managers, and he said in terms of league, uh, league goals scored, this is last year when they finished eighth, he said just in terms of goals scored, we're fifth in the league. So Goals conceded, it's purely set pieces getting us. If we can tidy up that game, that side of our game, then we have a brilliant chance to go and affect the top of the table. And then Northcroft says when... He arrived back after the summer. There was a palpable shift in mood. Suddenly, he was talking about different expectations and achieving 40 points. And uh, he said of the lack of transfers, because they basically got nobody over the, su- mm. over the summer, he says, I don't know the finances of the club. I run the football department. If the club say they can't sign a player, I trust the club. So there was this incredible shift from yeah. we could actually really challenge top of the table to by the start of this season saying... I have to trust the club if they say we can't sign anyone. So it's in the space of a summer. Yeah, yeah. And uh, even uh, at least one of the seasons that were fifth, I think they were just outside the Champions League. They, 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 came really, they just blew it yeah. at the end, didn't they? Because they've been flying all, all along. Um, it's sad because uh, uh, just going back to when they won the Premier League, like I think if you were to pick one of the most memorable moments of the Premier League era was when uh, Andrea Bocelli uh, came onto the pitch the day of the trophy presentation along, alongside Claudio Ranieri. I think, was it Nessun Dorma he yeah. sang? I think it was Nessun Dorma, yeah. And he had the lesser jersey. And oh, which, uh, I, and remember, my, I remember so well, because there I was, and I saw, out comes Bocelli, and I thought, where is my phone? How yeah. many littles, you know, kind of uh, dismissive tweets? You know, how, look at the world make fun of this. And five minutes later, um, all the people who had tweeted the jokes were, were tweeting, 
Actually, sorry, that was amazing. It was amazing. That, yeah. <laughs> against all expectations, this should have been terrible and 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 odd, and yet it was amazing. Yeah, but it was just like Ranieri. If you looked at his record, I think it was his was it his fifteenth job or something, or maybe eighteenth yeah. job. Like he'd been he'd been around the block. He never won anything, and he was so you could see the emotion. Like Bocelli's trade his emotion so yeah. it wasn't surprised that he was getting emotion but Ranieri was so moved beside him like it was just and he was so likeable like remember some of his press coverage some of the stuff he used to come out with and there must have been uh, there must have been pressure on him because it was like this was completely unexpected and in terms of his career and with Leicester but like, he just uh, people really warmed to him and but that you know there were key cogs in that machine that team Casper Schmeichel was one he's gone Jamie Vardier just cut up with him even though he's come up with a few goals now mm. uh, when the, the pressure's been on them but they just uh, that team is, 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 is basically no longer there it's gone you know and they haven't strengthened you, you know they always said I think it was Bill Shankly so you, you, you build from a position of strength and the signings they did have made uh, in recent years, very few have worked out. You know, particularly the re- the more recent signings uh, from Rogers. Uh, they're listed off there from summer twenty twenty one. This you know they sold only one player, Rashid Gezal, spent fifty eight point three million on Patson Daka, Bubari Samari, Yannick Vestergaard, brought in Ryan Bertrand on loan, Adamel Lowe, Lukeman on loan, and not one of them really worked out. So, yeah. I think when you're a club like Leicester, you need probably eighty percent of signings to work out. When they did make signings, they weren't working out, and then last summer they weren't able to make signings. So I think just so many things came together in a perfect storm. You both liked uh, the piece on Mickey Hart ahead of the Ulster, or the, I said, jeez, that's a slip, <laughs> <isn't> it? <laughs> Leinster, my goodness. Uh, this is Dermot Crow, and uh, it's that, <clears throat> I guess it's what you like, it's in that, it's like akin to that Stuart Lancaster piece where it's a behind the scenes, what has someone done to improve things or garner success? So um, various people have contributed here to Dermot Crow's piece, and... The point is made. Uh, we could have trained at half seven, and Mickey and Gavin Devlin, the coach, would be there at three o'clock. It's just so, in effect, these guys are professional. You know, they're well, at three Mickey's retired. I, know, I don't know yeah. what Gavin Devlin. Does, just, you can't yeah. really have a job. Oh, you know, no. so uh, I've never seen preparation like it. Says Peter Fitzpatrick, the Loud chairman. And a former player with Loud Development Squad speaks of a time when the playing gear was symptomatic of dysfunction. Some shorts had the old crest, some had the new. In Hart's time, they've rejuvenated the Centre of Excellence training centre in Darver. They knocked an internal wall to create one large dressing room with underground heating. The walls of pictures of Loud legends, different mottos are scattered across the hallways and dressing rooms. A new dining area has been created. It, there's a major investment in nutrition strength and conditioning program managed by Kieran Sullivan runs 12 months a year players still meeting up to do a supervised weekly session when the season is over in previous years the lights in Darver wouldn't have been turned on until maybe 15-20 minutes before session Hart has the lights on an hour and a half beforehand so when the prayers arrive the place is fully illuminated noticing the venue was exposed to the elements he had trees planted behind the goals, similar to what he did at Tyrone's training centre. The improvements cost money. Loud has been busy fundraising last year before the championship. They had a night in uh, with Hart in Darver Castle at €100 Euro a ticket, where the commentator Brian Carthy interviewed him on stage. It was at this event that uh, Gav- Gavin Devlin said he didn't see anything to fear in Leinster. So... Uh, 
it just goes on in that vein. There have been years when Louth might have trained with 16 players. They might have 12 the other night. Players took liberties. You don't take liberties with Mickey Hart. He set his stall out straight away. So there's more than 12 and 16 at training now. So uh, it does, I mean, amazingly impressive job. There is no doubt. But it does show perhaps in certain ways we can blithely say, oh, inter-counties at a you know, whole other level these days. And it is in certain counties. But it does highlight some of these things, while they cost money, you would say they're at the lower end of high performance. Mm. Mickey Hart went in and... Absolutely. Like, it's a bit of a rabble, really, he inherited. And he just straightened it out very quickly. And some of the things are details. Yeah, and it it throws up, like, straight away, like, you used to hear this thing said, and sometimes you still hear that, you know, people say all all players, all teams, all players train the same. Mm. You know, that the players in... Division three, four counties do the same as the Dublin carry. And just now, now, like I, I remember James Horn when when he did a con for us, and James would get really annoyed, like about that. He said they don't, they no. don't come near the level of, tra- of commitment and training that the top teams do. <coughs> Excuse me, and I think. I think there's a lesson there what, what's happened with Louth for a lot of counties. Like, I think uh, outside of the top 10 or 12 in the, count, in the country, there's not a massive difference between the rest. Like, if, if you get organization and get total commitment and you get everybody on board so, you know, that the best players within the county are playing for the county, that you can make rapid progress. So you have to give yourself the, the best chance of success. I still think it's really hard to break into that top 10 and particularly to, you know, to win any form of silver but you can get up the divisions you know but uh, you know it needs investment it needs commitment well, yes did you yeah. see Pat Gilroy's piece with Maliki I know yeah. you were writing about Stardust yeah, yeah. as well um, yeah. this week so Pat Gilroy was there ostensibly to talk about Stardust but he remarked that his time as Dublin football manager to now is night and day yeah, and one of the points he made, among several others, including like when I was manager in the league, we didn't know who the other team were, which we just went and played. Whereas now you do detailed analysis of the opposition. But one of the points which uh, jumped off the page was, he said, "We always knew when I was manager, we were fitter than the vast, vast, vast majority of teams. So even if it was a bit sticky, yeah, you were going to win in the last fifteen minutes. So perhaps that loud piece is suggesting, Brendan, that." that side of things has changed that yeah. the louds of the world won't just be done on fitness in the last 15 minutes oh yeah it's definitely moved on I always remember Kevin Walsh when he was uh, Galway manager a decade ago or whatever went into detail talking to us about how many hours per week he was putting in at the time something like 40 hours a week or whatever and you think what Pat Gilroy said then in Malachy's piece sure he would have been doing similar hours back then mm. and so you're thinking right you have a full time job and you're doing this 40 hours a week and yet 10, hour, 10 years later you're saying I couldn't envisage doing it where is the extra time coming no. from in what, in what space time continuum are you working <laughs> that makes this undoable compared no. to what you're doing 10 years you are ago are working are you because he's yeah, like well, in, in you hindsight look I was winging it is yeah long. yeah but the, the, the other thing I take from it all these pieces today are about Mickey Hart and rightly so mm. but they're also about Peter Fitzpatrick and that's equally crucial he's the loud chairman who picked up the phone to Mickey Hart when he's still uh, Tyrone manager and what it says as well is you're at nothing unless you have somebody in the county yeah. board who knows what he or she is doing yeah. and has the drive to do it and you look yes. like what Michael Dignan did in, yeah, in Offaly yeah, yeah. It, this, it's this simple there are counties all over Ireland with yeah. people who cannot get it together yeah. who yes. don't have the requisite skills because yeah. I remember Gerald Lutnan the amount of times he said to me that um, 
if you looked at Kilkenny, like, because he was always uh, being asked about Brian Cody, because yeah. he went to college with Brian Cody, you know, they had a long relationship. I said, you know, what is the secret for Cody? And he said, he always said it was about three people. It wasn't just Cody. It was Cody, Shefflin, he always said it was most important. But the other one he always mentioned was Ned Quinn, yeah. the chairman of the county board. That if you, like, you look at uh, other counties, you know, you look at what's going on in Donegal at the moment. Uh, Mayo have had their troubles like so many counties have had uh, Clare have had troubles yeah. at county board level that you have to have a county board that's completely back in the, the team and the manager to have any chance and that seems to be the case definitely that feeds into what Fitzpatrick and Hart what you were saying about the, the low level of high performance things that were done that's all low hanging fruit but again doesn't happen everywhere no you know but it, there, there's stuff there that can be easily be done it's all about people and to Heart's credit, I think a lot of people, when they saw that appointment, thought, well, that's just going <laughs> to... Yeah, I, thought, I, I honestly thought it was... Uh, Yesterday's man. No, I thought it was reactive. I thought, oh, God, he should have taken more time. He's just on the rebound. That's mentioned in, yeah, in Nick yeah. Clifford's piece in, yeah. in the Daily Mail. Um, yeah. Yeah. Fellas, we are pretty much out of time. Uh, we should, and Kieran, you alluded to it. Mark Gallagher's interview with Deirdre Gogarty is amazing. Uh, probably very underrated what she did 1997 mm. uh, world champion couldn't fight in Ireland because it was illegal there's an amazing story of a fight in Limerick <coughs> in June 1991 effectively the first uh, women's bout in the country they reckon completely unlicensed and uh, she went on to become a world champion fought on the undercard of a Mike Tyson uh, fight in uh, Vegas and uh, now lives in Louisiana uh, the point is she's coming back to Dublin this weekend because basically Katie, Katie Taylor as an 11 year old yeah. wrote her a letter to basically say you're my hero and, and so Taylor is saying like this is an absolute pioneer for the sport she does not get enough credit for what she actually did for women's boxing yeah, in the country yeah, so. yeah she's been honoured in Drogheda where she's from the night before uh, Deirdre Gogarty she's one of the people I've talked to for the podcast actually because I, I wanted to broadcast uh, or broaden the story out for, beyond Katie because people think women's boxing some people seem to think it's just Katie Taylor but there were very important people who broke ground you know that she wouldn't have had a hope of doing what she did without them Deirdre Gogarty was one of them another Deirdre Deirdre Nelson from Antrim actually took a case against the Boxing uh, Union of Ireland a sex discrimination case and because of that case well women were allowed to box here so she was very important Jane Couch took a similar case in the UK a year before um I know I talked to Donald McRae about Jane Couch. Like what Jane Couch had to put up with was unbelievable. The abuse, verbal and physical, she she had to suffer for daring to try and make it as a boxer. You know, it was it uh, it, it was an awful thing. And so and she's delighted now with, to see what Katie's doing and bet, the, yeah. such a big deal. To give you a sense, it's a great piece. It's worth reading. Mark Gallagher with Deirdre Gorty. Just the richness of it, like <laughs> 1991. Uh, convinced there were other girls who wanted to box. This is Deirdre Gogarty. She went on Pat Kenny's radio show to appeal for an opponent. And then down in Limerick, a fella called Jimmy Finn was coaching a couple of women. And uh, he put it to Anne-Marie Griffin, who was a kickboxer, but her opponent had fallen through in a separate bout. Do you want to fight her? I just heard this thing in the radio. So the fight went ahead. And there's a great photo of it in June 1991. Griffin had never boxed before. Uh, she had never worn gloves or boots. I only bought my first pair of boots on the Tuesday beforehand, but it turned out I couldn't wear them for the fight. They were too tight, so I had to fight barefoot. So there you go. That was 1991. By 97, Deirdre Gogarty was a world champion. 
and uh, like I said you'll see her I would think on the TV coverage on Dazone on Saturday night at the Three Arena uh, there's also part two of Seamus Power with Paul Kimmage which is worth checking out uh, as well in the Sunday Independence so fellas I think we are pretty much done my thanks to you both Brendan O'Brien from the Irish Examiner appreciate it and Kieran Cunningham from the Irish Daily Star and uh, Untouchable four part podcast series on Katie Taylor is released on Tuesday thanks very much guys cheers thanks sir The Sunday Papers on Off The Ball.